the prime obligation of every human being is to speak out against injustice. We are our brother's keeper. You're listening to The Keeper, brought to you by the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice. I'm Katrina Lantos-Sweat. Thank you for joining us for the final episode of our special Solidarity Sabbath podcast season. Over the course of this season, we've had the chance to look at the pernicious problem of anti-Semitism through several different lenses. It has been a fascinating journey, and if you haven't already, I encourage you to go back and listen to the first four episodes. We chose to release this final episode on August 19th, World Humanitarian Day. The United Nations calls this day a global celebration of people helping people. There are numerous examples of humanitarians throughout history who have given so much of themselves to fight anti-Semitism or to protect the Jewish people. One of them, the Swedish diplomat Raoul Wallenberg, helped save our foundation's own namesake, Tom Lantos, during the Holocaust. Wallenberg, one of the world's great humanitarians, ultimately gave his life in the pursuit of saving the Hungarian Jews. But not every humanitarian's contribution to the world is as dramatic as that of Wallenberg. Sometimes humanitarians accomplish great and lasting service to humanity through small and simple acts. Today, we bring you the story of one such humanitarian. One of the initiatives of the Lantos Foundation is something we call the Frontline Fund. Through this fund, we seek out human rights activists who are literally on the front lines of various human rights fights. Ordinarily, we try to devote those frontline funds to small grassroots heroes who are perhaps not well known, but who exemplify the best in human decency and a willingness to go beyond their own comfort zone to right a wrong that comes across their path. Years ago, we came across an article about a German woman, Irmela Mensa Schramm, who had quietly taken it upon herself to remove every pro-Nazi, anti-Semitic sticker, poster, or graffiti that she came across. There was no organization backing her, no funding from any government agency. Just a decent, good-humored, brave woman with a bucket, a scraper, and an inner moral compass that we should all seek to emulate. Needless to say, we reached out to support her through our Frontline Fund and were proud and honored to do so. But proud is not a word that one is likely to hear from Irmela about her work. Indeed, it would be hard to find a more modest, straightforward, and humble hero than this charming, earnest, silver-haired lady. I think you will agree after listening to the conversation I was able to have with her, speaking through a translator. Irmela, in 1986, you began what really in many ways I think has become your life's mission in a very unplanned way. Can you tell us about the first Nazi sticker you removed and why you did it? The first time she saw a sticker was at the bus stop right across the, the house she lives. And in the morning, she was not really ready for it, and she felt helpless. But she realized what it was. 
and she had no idea how to react to it. When she was sitting in the bus, she felt ashamed that she didn't do anything about it. And this was the start that she felt she has to do something about it. On the sticker, it was Freedom for Rudolf Hess. When she came home after 10 hours, the sticker is still there. And she was almost happy that nobody was first uh, removing the sticker. Then she realized, okay, now I, this is my chance to do it. Doing nothing, you can't achieve anything. She removed the sticker, of course, and she was happy about it. And she removed every evening stickers in this area where she lives. And after 14 days, there were no stickers anymore. And obviously, whoever it was, they gave up. I think that it does show that by shaming whoever it was, whether it was one individual or multiple individuals who were putting out those ugly, hateful messages in her own neighborhood, she was the one who ended up shaming them. And by her willingness to so peacefully confront this ugliness, they gave up. And I think that that shows the strength of the power of one example. If the reports I've read are correct, by now, 30 years later, 30 plus years later, she's removed nearly 100,000 expressions of hate. And they haven't all been as easy as stickers. Sometimes it's painted graffiti. How did this moral cleanup operation evolve? From the beginning, she didn't count it. But she is counting the stickers since 2007. Since she removed more than 82,400 stickers. Wow. These are just the stickers. There are still graffitis and all the speeches on the wall, the symbols. And if she counts all together since 2007, she counts between 130 and 140,000 targets. Am I correct that she began this work in 1986? So if she's only been counting since 2007, the number of symbols and stickers of hate that she has removed must be closer to a quarter of a million or a half a million. It's, it's unbelievable. Yes. She's collecting the pictures now and she is documenting it and she has 103 files full of documents. She met somebody just across the street at the bus stop again, at the same bus stop she found the first sticker. He asked her, would you also erase a sticker or a graffiti that says, I love you? She said, no, I wouldn't, because I think somebody meant me for what I'm doing. She tries always to see the positive things, if possible. And it sounds like it really grew very organically that once she started, she saw more and more need and just continued her work. You're right, it grew. She can't stand it anymore and she can't walk past any graffitis like that anymore. That means if she don't has any color spray on her or anything to remove it, she's going home and getting the stuff to do it. When she was working with a filmmaker and they saw a graffiti she didn't like, she interrupted the shooting and they had to buy um, a spray <laughs> to remove it and she made a big card on it. 
Irmela, I just need to tell you, many of us, when we see something wrong, we have an immediate impulse to do something about it. But sadly, the vast majority of us don't act in that moment. And as time intervenes and ordinary life intervenes, that impulse we had to correct that wrong, to remove that hate, sort of lessens until we just end up not doing anything. So your example of not being able to stand it, your example of even interrupting filming with a team of filmmakers to say, you know what, we're going to deal with this right away is so powerful as a lesson to millions, I believe tens of millions of very good people out there who would like to follow your example, but procrastination and just not acting in the moment becomes the means of avoiding acting at all. Why is it important, does she think, to have that documentation? Why is that important? When she began, she was concentrating on erasing, distinguishing, and whatever she found. Then she learned that it makes sense to document it, to convince the people, and to show the people what she is doing. It makes it easier to talk to the people and show them what she found on the street. And then she learned through documenting it, how it develops the graffitis and the hate speeches. By now, they get more, more advanced. She also finds white power stickers now in Berlin. In Hamm and in... In Western Germany. Teltow. Uh, yeah, Teltow. Yeah, in, in south of Berlin. It was not Berlin, but it was in, in Western Germany and south of Berlin. She's not only active in Berlin, she's active all over Europe. The attorney of Berlin told her that she's not allowed to remove stickers from everybody. She's now under surveillance of the attorney of Berlin. A couple of years ago, Ermela was actually prosecuted, as I understand it, by the chief prosecutor of Berlin for damaging public property when she removed an anti-immigrant slogan that was sort of directed at Angela Merkel. They fined her and basically gave her a warning, telling her not to continue doing this work, or as you say, that she could only remove certain stickers and not others. And has she paid the fine? Because I believe I read she said she is not going to pay the fine. And what was the response of the public? How did the public react to that whole prosecution? And how does Ermela feel? Does she feel like the prosecutor's office in Berlin is holding her back and trying to hamper what she's doing? Actually, this fine of 1,500 euros, so to say a fine on probation. If she is doing it again, she has to pay it. She said she met elderly women who asked her, did you pay the fine? I hope you didn't pay the fine. You shouldn't pay the fine. So she feels a lot of support from the people, and especially from elderly people. And that's what drives her forward. And in court, she said to the judge, she said, I won't pay. You can do what you want. Just send me to prison. I take it as a vacation. I didn't have the vacation. <laughs> She's facing two new trials right now, but she feels strong about it. And her opinion is that she has a responsibility for what she does, but also she feels a responsibility for democracy. 
And that's what in her eyes is civil society. And she wants to, to show this. And you have to risk something to fight for democracy. That's what she says. Well, speaking of risking something, of course, many people support. Even the German government, the federal German government, has given her its highest honor. I believe they've awarded her the Federal Cross of Merit. But it's also true that there has been some danger. Would she be willing to talk a bit about the assaults that she has also endured? There have been occasions when she's been physically attacked while trying to remove the Nazi slogans. When you're asking this, she just remembers a recent incident she had. When she was removing a Nazi parole on a wall, were a lot of graffitis. It was packed with graffiti. Uh, a couple was passing the wall when she were removing one of the graffitis and the husband was really angry and he wanted to attack and he wanted to beat her. The woman was trying to pull him back but he was furious. She just said, just wait, I'm not finished yet. Just let me remove a few more graffitis and then you have a real reason to beat me. There's another story she's telling about young guy when she was just erasing a swastika from a pole and he was really angry and said, why are you doing that? Stop doing this. And she said, no, I will continue and I will do it and I will finish my work. And he was getting really angry and he was looking to all sides if somebody is watching him and he wanted to beat her. She was just going very close to him, very close to his face and just smiling. In this moment, this young guy is turning around and running. I know that Germany has, in many ways, much stricter limits, if you will, on the expression of hate speech, especially Nazi hate speech, than would, for example, be permitted in the United States under our First Amendment. We have a very free and open public square, which allows a lot of ugly things in that public square. And I know that things are a little stricter under German law, in part because of the history of the Nazi era. I'd like to know what Ermela says to people who may say to her, you're really limiting free speech. We understand that your motives are pure, and we agree that we also hate this speech, but we don't attempt to limit it. How does she respond to people who might raise that objection to what she's doing? Naja, wir leben ja nur in Deutschland. Da ist manches eben offiziell. Obviously, Emela knows exactly the laws, even better than I do, to be honest. And she says, yes, you are right. But um, certain things are not allowed in Germany. And she is, in, in this case, of course, following the law. She says there is a freedom of speech, but um, there are also limits to it. And this is, in, in German law, really clear. And, and what she doesn't like is that people are just accepting if, if, if somebody breaks the law and if a slogan is on the wall, something against Jews and, and the swastika at the wall. And she says saying nothing is saying yes yeah. and admitting to it. And yes. so her point is that she has to stand up and say something against it. Otherwise, she is um, limiting freedom of speech in the end. Sort of a related question. And as we're talking about some of the similarities and differences between 
laws around free speech in Germany versus the United States, I, as an American, am also going to ask for some advice from Irmela. So the question I have first is, is she concerned about the rise of the far right in Germany and this resurgence of certainly anti-Semitism, but also a new ugly wave of anti-immigrant sentiment that's rising in Germany. Many people in my country, in the United States of America, are deeply concerned and frankly appalled by what we see as the rise of something we refer to as the alt-right in our political environment. And the alt-right here in this country has many echoes and ties to what we might call Nazi ideology and white supremacist ideology. I would just love um, for our American listeners to hear what advice she would have for the best way to counter this ugly political rhetoric that is increasingly part of the political scene here in our country. She says, of course, she doesn't like what's happening and development in all the countries is really dangerous in her eyes. It's not only anti-Semitism. She also says she sees the same thing in Muslim movements and um, she refuses to be hateful against people um, who have other beliefs. One of the refugees is feeding her cats when she's away, um, distinguishing um, swastikas. <laughs> she refuses to put all the Muslims in one pot. If you don't have the laws to do something up against it, she says, it's a civil society who has to stand up. And therefore, she uses this picture as a symbol where, where just this black woman is standing up in front of the right-wing people in Italy. It's a question of, of a brave civil society and a question of brave people um, who stand up against uh, developments like that. There's a chance to, to get it under control. She, she gives another example. This example is for how good it is to be brave and to stand up, and because sometimes it helps. She was threatened by a Nazi in 2005. This Nazi was painting at the wall something against her, her personally. It was um, nasty stuff about her he was putting at the wall, and he was threatening her. They were even with the American film team when, when they were threatened by this guy. But this was years before and when they met again. And she didn't want to stop and she, she saw him. She felt not very well about it, but still she said to herself, okay, I will continue, but I don't say anything to this guy. I just go ahead. She told herself to shut up, hmm. to say nothing, to be able to continue her work. But this guy was talking to her all of a sudden. And he said, I quit. I changed my mind. And the reason why I changed my mind was you. Because you were always continuing. I troubled you, but you continued. And you were so brave, and, and this was the reason why I quit. I'm no Nazi anymore. She was close to tears. He, he was holding her. When, when he changed his mind, he told his girlfriend, I have to find this woman. I have to find this brave woman. And finally, he found her. That is so powerful. It kind of leads me to my last two questions. Irmela, 
Are you an optimist about the future with everything you've done and what you've seen and both the hostility and the attacks of people who hate what you're doing, but then an incredible story of your impact in changing that man's way of thinking and turning him around. At the end of the day, would you say you're an optimist about the future? English, happy angst. She says she's afraid of the future. Um, she fears that the dark times from the past will repeat itself in Germany, in the world. At the same time, she is absolutely convinced that she will fight. She will fight because who is not fighting lost already. When she will look back, she don't want to accuse herself not to have done anything against it, even if she's afraid. And everybody and every single person she can reach is already a win. It's worth it to fight. I have one last question for Irmela, and I want to preface it by saying that we hope and expect that she will be with the world and doing her work for another quarter century at least, but what would she like written on her tombstone? How would she like to be remembered when she is gone? <laughs> she wants to be buried anonymous. <laughs> it's a, a story about the eight-year-old school kid when she did the workshop uh, Color Against Hate, where in the workshop the, the students, the kids, should change hate speech in something positive. Change the phrases and just rephrase it to make something positive out of it. This eight-year-old kid said to her, you're the best woman in the world. That's the things, she says, that keeps her going. And it's so much motivation for her. As someone involved in human rights activism, one of the questions I am most frequently asked is, what can I do? How can I get involved in trying to make the world a better place right where I am? I would suggest that the example of Ermela Mensa Shram may be your answer. What she undertook to do is really a very simple but profound thing. She saw an ugly, hateful Nazi sticker at her bus stop, and she removed it. She didn't tisk-tisk and think the authorities or someone else should do something about this. She took responsibility and removed it herself. Before Nike coined the phrase, Ermela decided to, quote, just do it. And she did. When I was quite young, I heard a beautiful quote that has been attributed to Stephen Grillette, a Quaker missionary from the late 1700s. It expresses an ethos that I have aspired to live by, and one that Irmela surely has. He wrote, I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Thank you again for being with us for this special season of The Keeper. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be taking a break to work on our next season. Don't forget to subscribe to The Keeper so you'll know as soon as we're ready to release new episodes. Until then, be well and keep carrying the noble banner of human rights 
in your corner of the world, wherever that may be. I'm Katrina Lanto-Sweat, and this is The Keeper. This episode of The Keeper was produced and recorded by the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice. To support our work and for more information on today's topic, visit us at www.lantosfoundation.org.